We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast with Megan Gower. It's been a crazy week in women's basketball. We had the number one, the number two, and the number three teams in the country losing last week, a bunch of upsets on the conference front, and then a new WNBA CBA dropped yesterday, so lots of big things happening on the women's hoops front. Um, so lots to talk about this week on the podcast and then a bunch of big games coming up this weekend as well. So things just keep staying interesting in the women's basketball world. As always, we want to just kind of kick it off by reminding you to rate, like, subscribe to the podcast on uh, wherever you're listening to us. We want to read a quick review here Um I'm trying to encourage you all to review the podcast as well. Got one from LCA2004 saying, Great podcast. If you enjoy basketball and great stories about basketball, you will love this podcast. So we hope some of you that listen to this also feel that way and will leave us a review. Um, and maybe next time on the podcast, you'll hear us reading yours. But without further ado, I'm here this week with Aaron Barsley. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? It's going well. Good to talk to you. It's been a while. I don't think we've talked on the podcast in a few weeks and not really in real life either. I know. So yeah, good to have you on after what's been a crazy week on the women's hoops front, I feel like. Lots of upsets, lots of news on the WNBA side, so a whole bunch of things to talk about. Yeah, there was another one uh, tonight, right? Uh, Oklahoma killed West Virginia. It looks like 73 to 49. I didn't get a chance to watch. But uh, yeah, West Virginia was 17th in the country. So um, just uh, yet another upset. Baylor not having quite as much trouble. 
Yeah, <laughs> no surprise there, but yeah, it seems in a way what's becoming the norm this season. Lots of upsets, night in, night out, so definitely been interesting. Yeah, are we, uh, people are listening, probably by the time they listen to this, uh, Morgan's piece on the uh, distribution of the voting in the AP poll uh, should be out. And it's really fascinating how there's just this wide range. I think, uh, um, was it South Carolina and Baylor pretty tightly one and two uh, in that order? Uh, but then like three through eight, it's just like sort of anyone could be anyone there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's clearly no separation. It's a definite tier. Uh, as they say yeah makes sense yeah kind of just given the results we've seen and stuff it's really hard to separate those teams out on who's the best because you'd never want to you know overweight one game but at the same time that seems to be the biggest thing to separate some of those teams from each other so definitely difficult to decipher there you know i was thinking though before we uh, really dive into women's basketball do you want to spend some time breaking down the uh, jeopardy tournament have you been watching any of that I have not. <laughs> between, nope, between the day job and women's basketball, I've been pretty busy, so I haven't really gotten a chance to watch any fun TV. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. My younger son, like, I don't know why, I was like, oh, let's try watching this, like, on the weekend or something. He's into it. And so, you know, even though he barely knows any of the answers. Uh, <laughs> although he was pretty happy that uh, today one of the answers was OK Boomer. So. Uh, that definitely got a kick out of that. But uh, yeah, the last couple of days, he's been like, oh, let's watch Jeopardy instead of watching basketball. So uh, some of them was like, oh, I need to watch basketball. But, uh, you know, it's only, I think, a two-week kind of thing. And even though I'm behind, uh, I do know that it's over. And spoiler alert, Ken Jennings apparently is the uh, greatest of all time. <laughs> you know, a little sports segue, actually. I'm going to be going to the uh, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference uh, up in Boston. Uh, founded by uh, Daryl Moore, the Houston Rockets GM, and uh, Jessica Gellman, who I think is like the president of the craft of that analytics group, um, and a former Harvard uh, basketball player. And uh, they have uh, the the James Holzhauer and Ken Jennings are going to speak. So that would be oh, that's pretty cool to uh, hear what they have to say, especially because uh, Holzhauer, the guy that went bonkers last year. Uh, he uh, is a former like Las Vegas uh, professional sports better. Oh, interesting. So, definitely a little connection there. Yeah, so it's a tangentially related segue, but uh, but but it is there. So yeah, but anyhow, other th- things are going well with you. Otherwise, uh, like I said, you're uh, keeping quite busy, right? Yes, as always. So definitely busy, especially last week between the big game here in Connecticut and. Everything else going on. It was a busy week, but a good Yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, I think we're going to talk about that and the CBA. I wasn't sure what we wanted to talk about first. But yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about your uh, adventures uh, at UConn. uh, That was at the XL Center, right? Yeah, so it was at the Excel Center. So UConn, for people who don't know, plays about half of their games on campus at Gimple Pavilion, which is the on-campus arena, and then half of their games in downtown Hartford, which is about 30 to 40 minutes from stores. Um, so yeah, last Thursday's game was downtown Hartford at the Excel Center. Makes it nice and easy for me because my office building is literally right next door. Like I could get to the arena without even going outside if I want to. Oh my (laughs) goodness. That is like a little Minnesota or something. Uh, so you just like left your car parked at work or whatever and exactly. That's amazing. That's like the people that, um, work in, uh, Manhattan and they park in their like underground office garages for the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's like a big thing around. Yeah. So you got to know someone that works in the city. 
<laughs> I ran into our other stats contributor, Natalie, at the game, and she was saying how crazy parking was. And I was like, yeah, I didn't have to deal with that because I've been here since like 8.30 this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I know that uh, the joint was jumping there. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think so. Highest like women's basketball attendance for the season so far, somewhere over 12,000 people, which is actually not full for the Excel Center. So it wasn't a sellout, but still a huge crowd and a loud crowd. Uh, from what I heard, that kind of came through on the TV broadcast. But I was going to say, there's times where I th- almost felt like I needed earplugs between like the fans shouting and the PA announcing and everything. It was really loud in there. That's good. So wait, yeah, so it was 12,000 people. So yeah, so UConn tweeted out that it was the largest crowd this season. I mean, it's interesting because I think that the, I mean, it totally could be a Final Four preview and the Final Four, um, mm-hmm. or I mean, a National Championship preview, whatever. And uh, I feel like the attendance for that's been like 18,000 or more. So I guess I'm a little surprised it didn't uh, 100% sell out. Uh, were you or well, do you know what the largest attendance is for like a UConn home game? Yeah, so they have sold out the Excel Center before. I think if it had been like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. game, definitely would have been sold out. I think the Thursday night makes it a little bit tougher. Um, but yeah, I think that it was still full in there, and despite it not being a sellout. Um, but yeah, I think just kind of being a weekday game takes away from that being a sellout. Yeah, yeah. I know. Is it last year or two years ago when you come played Notre Dame at Excel? It was like a Saturday game and it was a sellout crowd, which mm, is pretty that cool. It makes sense. Well, hopefully, if we get more of these Thursday night showcases, um, that, that really becomes the habit, right? Then people will mm-hmm. be a little more used to uh, staying up late and watching, especially because I know ESPN seems partial to that seven to nine uh, slot Eastern. So um, that definitely, you know, is a lot better than, you know, some of these NBA 830 local time. Uh, tip-offs that are like you know 8 30 central 9 30 eastern so it can be the late game and a, and a double header um yeah you know so the one uh piece of information i did uh pull up to prep for that is you know we tweeted out um the, the stats i haven't seen the final final numbers but i guess it was the overnights uh 518,000 people watched uh, on tv and as you said it did uh come through and i was actually pretty pleased that um you know of all the cable television programming uh, that was more than any of the NCAA men's games that night. There was a hockey game on NBC SM that was uh, did lower than that, and the TNT's pregame show, which was like up against it, um, also had less uh, viewership and sort of total people. The NBA games that night did um, outdraw it, but still, I thought that was pretty remarkable. It also that reflects some of the challenges for I think why people, um, you know, it's harder to attract attention, which is. Uh, interestingly, it attracted more total people, but less than that 18 to 49 uh, demographic, which I think, you know, isn't too shocking, uh, given, given our perception of how uh, women's basketball interests skews demographically. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was a great game. I was glad to see that. I remember, was it last year that a lot of the major NCAA uh, ESPN games, or maybe it was the year before, were just blowouts? But, uh, you know, in keeping with the game parity for the season, you know, it was it was definitely a very taut game, enjoyable to watch. Uh, I thought it was definitely kind of showed women's basketball at its best. Yeah, I think if people just saw the final score, you saw the 16 point win. But really, it was a one point game until five minutes left in the fourth quarter when Baylor kind of just like ran away with it at the end there. But really down to those last final minutes was a really close game. Um, so it was definitely good kind of down the wire close game exciting to watch for 99 percent of it 
So what were your impressions? What did you think of how good uh, Baylor is? What did you think of what Lauren Cox looked like, uh, I guess, physically in person? Um, so I think you could tell that Cox was still not back in full shape. She wasn't as big of an you know, impact in the like paint on offense as she will be, I'm sure, as soon as she's you know, back in full shape, has a few more games under her belt. But I think for me, the thing that stood out from Baylor is that I don't know how much of it was, you know, them adjusting their game plan for UConn and then also um, just UConn disrupting their offense. But, you know, Baylor is a typical player game. They play a lot in the paint, score a lot in the paint. So if you told me that UConn was going to like almost out rebound them and hold them to like their second lowest point total in the paint on the season, I would have picked UConn to win it. Um, but Baylor was really able to adjust their game plan. They scored a ton of three-pointers, especially in the first half. Um, so I think it just speaks to like how versatile this Baylor team is and how many different ways they can score and how many different ways they can beat you, basically. Yeah, it's quite the wrinkle. Tonight, uh, they beat, uh, I think it's final, yeah, 90-47 to 47, uh, against Kansas, and they went 8-21 for 21 from deep, um, <laughs> including uh, Landrum and Cooper both... Uh, hit three threes each one uh landed was three for eight and cooper three for seven so i mean if that's going to be more and more of their arsenal this season it's uh and then you know plus i think cox as you said mm-hmm. it just should hopefully get healthier and stronger over the course of the season uh look out yeah, I don't remember the like direct quote from the post game, but Gino Oriama said something along the lines of basically like, you know, if they're going to be as good as they always are in the paint, which they are, and then on top of that, you add the fact that they can make, you know, five, six, three pointers a game, they're nearly impossible to guard. Um, and I think that's true really against probably any team in the country. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize this. I'm looking at the site now, and uh, I guess we don't even have today's uh, game in yet because it just ended. But uh, I didn't realize they're shooting a 40% from three for the season, 39.9% heading into the game tonight. Yeah, exactly. They shoot. They don't shoot often from three, but when they do, they shoot well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're um, 340th out of 351 teams in the percentage of their points from three. So, um, But uh, I guess that's going to go up uh, or go up today. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, geez, yeah, let's see if I can pull up really quick um, between tonight and previously what we got here yeah i know in the yukon game just like as we're you're looking that up it was i think they took about 20 21 threes which was like nearly double their season average for three-point attempts in a game um so they took a lot more threes against yukon and it sounds like they might have done the same tonight and it worked out in their favor yeah yeah i don't know the numbers at my fingertips here uh you know, taking a break to recall from programming to uh, report the podcast but definitely something like that something we're looking to add to the site so yeah i mean it seems like they're really picking up and adding that and you know i think the great teams uh you know sort of develop over the course of the season uh, i mean maybe not always but i mean I think that's a sign of a great team they can get better and so um this is you know baylor looking better and better uh, look out yeah yeah exactly um yeah they're number two in the polls now i've been saying it for a while and i'll keep saying it especially after watching them play in person that i think they're probably the best team in the country with lauren cox on the floor i mean they did lose kalani brown but they replaced most of her minutes with melissa smith who is a different player but very athletic very tall um can really do a lot for them so they kind of feel like they haven't missed too much of a beat since last year's national and, uh, championship team smith i think was the big 12 conference player of the week this week i saw uh don't quote me don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure i saw that fly by 
uh, on Twitter on Monday. And yeah, they're number two now, but I think it's pretty um, likely they're going to be number one at some point over the course of the season. Because as you talked about last week with Calvin, uh, you know, their schedule's not easy. They've definitely got some good teams in the Big 12, but that was like their last big uh, challenge playing UConn, really. Of, uh, you know, they've already played UConn. They lost to the South Carolina, right? Um, and that game, Remy, did Lauren Cox not play at all? Or was that the- yeah, she didn't play at all in that game. So I feel like that one deserves an asterisk. And the, like, yeah, exactly. Lauren Cox didn't and play they, game categories. And, so, yeah. and they beat Indiana. Um, also who, without Cox, which is right. impressive. And I think we're a little higher on them, or I'm a little higher on them. But her hoop sets rating, we have uh, Indiana sixth. So, um, you know, basically most of the teams in the Big 12 are between like 30th and 50th in the country. So just outside uh, the top 25. And, uh, you know, it's would definitely be a challenge to go undefeated in conference play. But, you know, Baylor, I think, is definitely sitting pretty. And they are, in fact... Uh, you know, number one in our automated her hoop stats rating, which is you know try and incorporate margin of victory uh, as opposed to RPI, and uh, you know really control for the strength of the opponent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think they look really good. Um, then on the UConn fan or the UConn side, like if I'm a UConn fan, with I'm like not concerned. To me, it was a lot of like first of all they were within one point with five minutes left. Um, and I feel like in that last quarter, to start off, they just missed a lot of open shots. And then, I mean, they started taking some pretty bad shots kind of once they got down. Um, I think they were just trying to throw anything up. But to me, really all game, they missed. They got good looks and they missed them, um, which is, you know, it happens. It's unfortunate. But I think in terms of, like, things that you, like, take away from that game as a concern, that's really not one of them. Um, I think I was extremely impressed by the fact that, I think in the like total like rebounding margin, Baylor only out rebounded them by one rebound, but on a percentage basis, UConn um was better on the boards of both offensively and defensively. So I think that's a huge win for them. I think, you know, you think of Baylor as this big time size rebounding team. So to come away with the good rebounding margin there is definitely um a good thing for the Huskies. And then also I thought their defense was good. I mean, to hold Baylor to their second lowest total of points in the paint on the season another like solid thing so things that I would have been most concerned about from a UConn perspective going into this one they actually did well on yeah yeah they were a little bit on the slower pace side but um uh you know their defensive rating there or you know Baylor scored 107 points per possession so which mm-hmm. was uh um, interesting actually Seton Hall scored more earlier in the season for them but uh, against UConn, sorry, but you know, still they did let, let them score pretty uh, efficiently. And uh, let's see, where are we on the Baylor side of things? That was though, as you said, um, well, yeah, it was basically their lowest offensive efficiency for the season. So that was a, a, a oh, sorry, I'm sorry, no, um, they were actually decent on off, uh, offensive efficiency. So I think it was all those lower points. Uh, wasn't necessarily like a, a super standout uh, defensive performance. I think the main question I had for you is like, how are you feeling now about um, Nelson Dota, right? Um, that was sort of interesting that, you know, she was sort of a, I mean, not shocking, right? But, you know, she was sort of a, the woman in the middle and didn't really thrive in that particular game. And, you know, obviously she's young and growing. Hopefully we'll learn from that. But, you know, it did sort of make it look like a bit of a weakness, uh, really exposed that weakness. 
Yeah, so I think that was a concern for them, definitely. Um, you know, kind of, she didn't really contribute anything on the offensive end. She couldn't finish over Cox, and then um, on the defensive end, not a great night for her either. She really just struggled all over the floor. Um, but let's be clear, not many, sorry, not many people can finish over Cox, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was going to be kind of my next point is like, yes, she struggled, but do you really think that there's a tougher test in NCAA than playing Baylor as a like someone another team center probably not in my opinion so yes it's concerning that she didn't really do much but I think one she's young there was probably a lot of pressure on her that she's not used to having put on her for this game um just because you know everyone going into this one it was a lot of talk about the battle in the post and of course for UConn that's her um and then also, I just think that when you look at a lot of other top teams in the country, it's not going to be as tight of a battle or as hard as of a battle inside as it is against Baylor. So um, if UConn can get a little bit more from her in any other matchup, they're in probably in better shape. Um, and obviously just a good learning experience to play probably the toughest inside defense at this point in the season. She's got you know two months to kind of figure out how to be better going forward. Um, right, right, right. So I'm trying to think about their upcoming schedule. I don't think it's two months, though, right? I think it's less than a month until they play South Carolina. So yeah, true. true. <laughs> so that's another I was saying like two months until March. But yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> so I'm trying to think who else they're playing on their schedule that, um, you know, also has strong bigs and is really gonna gonna test them. Yeah, I mean, you've got Oregon, but Ruthie Hebert, I think is a little bit I mean, she's a strong big, but not in the like sense of like a Baylor or South Carolina um, inside presence. So I think that'll be a little bit more equal of a matchup. Yeah. And then their other big non-conference game, right, is that uh, Tennessee game. Uh, right. Which, I guess which is a lot of size. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess that game is the 23rd, which is also a Thursday, right? So part of the, yeah, yep. no, we saw the promo for that on TV last time. So that's, yeah. So to me, right, like, I think it's fair. There's no doubt. And, you know, we always like to talk about this when we're uh, thinking about our, like, the Erd Jacobs top 25, right? I'm always encouraging them, but it's like, who would win in a 10-game series uh, or something, right? Um, you know, it's definitely not Baylor 10, UConn 0. Uh, and it certainly seemed like a close game. I mean, there were definitely moments, right? UConn, they, well, remind me, they got the lead or almost had the lead at the end of the first half. Is that right? Um, I think they had moments. it at the end of the first quarter. It was close at the end of the half. I think they might have been down slightly at the end of the half. And then even like literally with, I think, five minutes left in the fourth quarter, they were only down by one. So it was kind of just fell apart for them at the yeah. end there. But they were really in it all the way through. Definitely. There, there, there were moments where it just felt like they had the momentum. The crowd was behind them. Mm-hmm. It was a tough atmosphere, but uh, they just couldn't quite uh, get over the hump. And then, you know, they let go of the rope. Uh, as they say. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it'll be good to see. Um, you know, I'm excited for, for the rest of UConn season. And, um, you know, it's going to be really just an uh, impressive, impressive uh, NCAA tournament, I think, where we're going to see, you know, I feel like last year in um, Elite Eight, you kind of felt that like three of the games were pretty clear. I forget. Did Oregon play Stanford or in the. I feel yeah. like it was like three of the games were up in the air, and then the Baylor Iowa one. I think you kind of knew would Baylor be Baylor, but then. Oh, I think I was probably more confident. I think I thought like three of them were she wins, and one of them was going to be the game, okay. like uh, you know, on the day off or uh, not the day off, but you know, 
the, the before before the pandemic. So, um, but yeah, I have a sense that like if we get you know the top ten teams in you know the lead eight, that it's going to be just anyone's ball game. Agreed. And I also have this one's just the way things are going that like come March, like I feel like usually with the women's tournament, you're kind of like, yeah, like, you know, the top 10 teams is who's going to be in the Elite Eight. I'm not confident that that'll happen this year. I won't be as surprised if, you know, someone gets upset early on. Uh, could make for interesting. Yeah, uh, upset, tournament upset early March. on and some of the non-traditional teams are in the top 25. So definitely some chances for some new names uh, in the Sweet 16, which will be nice. So, and that is, by the way, a good chance to plug that we'll be at uh, the Final Four. So, yes. if you are listening and planning on being there yourself, please definitely uh, drop us a line. Let us know. Um, you know, we're definitely thinking about kind of what sorts of things we're going to do while we're there. But we certainly want to meet up with, um, you know, the people that are, are following us and uh, get to know a little bit more of the Haroop's destination, as they say. <laughs> do they say that? They probably don't. <laughs> probably not yet. <laughs> I was but thinking yeah. about I was thinking about writing a Twitter poll today. I was listening to um, a podcast. Actually, I'll mention them later. Uh, but the No Duns Inc. Uh, folks, which are those former starters, they used to call themselves the starters when they were on NBA TV. And they were, you know, for whatever reason, um, Lee Ellis is obsessed with kombucha. And today, apparently, is National Kombucha Day. Um, and so uh, it's only the second one. And so they were debating, like, how do you get a day and, like, get that free advertising on the calendar? So trying to think about what day we should make national for who's that day <laughs> i like it <laughs> so a lot a lot of choices a lot of choices could be monday uh, uh when they announce the uh seedings right because that'll be monday afternoon right not sunday mm-hmm. and yeah. uh yeah but i think that might be a good option uh, many others as well yeah i think it's technically monday night it was a accidental monday afternoon last year <laughs> Oh, I thought it was like they were. At, I mean, I did think they were going to announce it like four or five. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they got leaked early last year. That was the yeah. big. Hey, let's uh, jump ahead and then we'll jump back uh, to probably okay. back with us. What did you think about the WNBA announcement happening suddenly on Good Morning America at, you know, 8.50 a.m. or whatever? Yeah, I thought it was awesome that they did it on Good Morning America. Less awesome that it was like totally like out of the blue. You didn't know it was coming. <laughs> Um, I feel like just for me, like I like was like logging on to work and then I was like, oh, what is happening? <laughs> like my phone's blowing up and then it was kind of like, oh, this big thing is going on. But um, I do think, though, that the like the publicity of it being announced on Good Morning America was awesome. And it probably fits our demographic as we were talking about before. <laughs> Although I do have to say, I don't personally know anyone that watches Good Morning America. But, you know, I'm trying to think about what the other options were. And, and to your point, I think that definitely... Uh, it would have been nice if there had been some kind of like, hey, we've got some news, like tune in to Good Morning America at 8.45 yeah, a.m. If they had put that exactly. out at like 8.45 p.m. the night before, like I think a ton of people would have watched and like made time for it. And it wouldn't, I mean, we all knew the extension was the 15th, so, uh, which is today, right? So like, it's not that shocking that there'd be some kind of, kind of heads up on that, right? And so, but, you know, compared to Good Morning America versus putting on the jump where they definitely, I think they announced... All stars on it or something. Uh, one yeah, year, right? Like Nichols is obviously a, a great supporter of the women's game, or even on Sports Center or in a kind of more prime timey kind of spot. Um, yeah, I gotta believe Good Morning America does actually have more viewers, even though, mm-hmm. um, like I said, they're not uh, the people that I uh, people I know. 
So. Yeah, I think a heads up would have been good. I think you would have got a lot of people that were like, hey, I'll definitely tune into this had they known yeah, they're not the was going. Included. I don't know that uh, many people would have mm-hmm. put money down for um, freezing of uh, eggs. I forget what the proper scientific phrase, oocyte <laughs> preservation maybe. Uh, yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't expecting that to be in there, but pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so anyway, getting back to uh, college basketball. So obviously UConn-Baylor was a huge game, but uh, amazingly it wasn't perhaps not even the biggest news of the weekend in college basketball because um, Arizona State, I think, was uh, just off the charts. Yeah, that was a crazy weekend for them. They had both Oregons at home. Both Oregons were on like an Arizona road trip this weekend, so played on opposite days at, I think, Friday. Um, Oregon was at Arizona State, and then Oregon State was at Arizona, and then vice versa on Sunday. Yeah. It's a mouthful uh, of state schedules for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you say Oregon or Oregon? Uh, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Some people don't, though. Wasn't sure what you're, whether you're East Coast bias. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, you could UConn, right? So it should be Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they have uh, the Washington schools uh, this weekend. But, um, uh, you know, it's actually, I mean, Oregon State and Oregon. So I'm not sure they're playing this weekend. But then they play each other. They've got that back to basically back to back on the 24th and 26th. So next weekend, um, they're uh, two civil wars: Civil War One, Civil War Two. I guess. Um, I don't know. If we're and gonna, they've uh, got big ones this weekend too, because Stanford's on an Oregon road trip this weekend. So I forget who's Friday and who's sat Sunday or whatever it is this weekend. But Stanford's visiting them both this weekend. So big ones. And then. After the Civil Wars, they, uh, I guess they have Southern Cal, then they have UCLA, and then they're going back to, Ari- or the, I guess, Arizona, Arizona State are coming to visit them. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I didn't realize that Stanford is the last, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I put the wrong schedule here, confused myself. But uh, yeah, so Arizona State uh, going crazy, and it's going to be just fascinating to see if they can sustain that. I think I think I would expect them at home, Washington and Washington State uh, this weekend to be able to get those wins. Like you know, absolutely yep. favored. Yeah, so definitely crazy from Arizona State. I think probably the not the Arizona school that people would have picked to upset either team, but the one that got it done. So pretty crazy weekend. Um, the Arizona games were tight too, but they Oregon teams won on those ones. But. Um, yeah, I thought the most interesting one was probably Oregon State. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet, but was like watching the box score on Sunday. It was Sunday, yeah, Sunday. And the first quarter was just so low, low scoring. I think it was like four to fourteen or something crazy at the mm. end of the first quarter. Um, so definitely different from what you usually see from Oregon State. Obviously, who was undefeated going into that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like a comeback too, wasn't Arizona State like out of uh, you know down quite a bit, and then they, uh, you know, given the score, and then I was like pretty surprised when I saw that they won. So I think that was the Oregon one. So when they oh, played okay. Oregon, they were down quite a bit, and then yeah, came back in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter, Arizona State right. outscored Oregon thirty to fourteen, but Arizona State also actually had the lead pretty much the whole time in the Oregon State game. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely mixing yeah. those two up. So, uh, but interestingly, right, Jacob, um, you know, participates in the hoop feed 
uh, top 25. And, uh, you know, I was pretty, uh, at first glance, I was pretty surprised that he actually did not include them in his top 25, which I figured would be a little bit controversial. But then I was looking into it and, uh, you know, it seems reasonable. Um, as, as I said, Morgan's got, uh, he's coming out tomorrow for analysis of the AP votes. And I think two AP voters uh, also did not have them in the top 25 and one had them 25th. Arizona State is 25th in the Hoops that's rating as well. So I think they're definitely right uh, on the cusp of that. I mean, they've got these amazing, amazing wins, but then they've also lost to uh, Purdue uh, by seven, 52 to 59, and by 14 to uh, Minnesota. Um, that was at Minnesota, but still. So, you know, it's an interesting question. It really kind of gets to something we were always are debating, and that's why we have that compare team resume tool around, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what do we think of Arizona State? Yeah. I think they're probably, like, yeah, like you said, kind of borderline top 25. People are obviously, you know, recency bias, really excited about these two wins, but you have to remember what happened at the beginning of the season, too. And then they also impact 12 play, have two losses already as well. Um, not bad losses, just at home to Arizona and then at UCLA. So by no means bad losses, but still losses in Pac-12. I think in terms of, like, where they really stand, they've got, I mean, plenty of time chances to prove themselves or kind of show that they are where we have them now based on how they play out in the rest of this Pac-12 schedule. The beauty of the Pac-12, there's just so many big games, um, so plenty of chances to kind of really show where they are or are at. Yeah, and more importantly, plenty of, uh, not really plenty of chances, but they've just put uh, Division One on notice that, uh, you know, you definitely don't want to face them early in the tournament. They're clearly yes. capable of beating anybody. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, I think they moved up real f- of quite a bit in the, the ESPN W bracketology this week with those wins, though up to like a five seed, um, which is interesting. Well, I'll say it now because then it'll make me do it. <laughs> we'll have our own <laughs> bracketology, at least the top like sixteen seeds coming out yeah. in the near oh, future. That, so that reminds me. Did you um, get a chance to tally up the votes for uh, or your picks against uh, Calvin last week? Yeah, we were two for two. I think we went the same way on the Oregon State-Arizona. So not the Arizona State, the Arizona game. We both had Oregon State winning that, which they did. And then I had the Baylor one, and he had the Missouri State over Drake. So uh, two and two. So we're tied. So we'll have to do some at the end of this one. So Megan versus versus the field, still a tie. Yep. (laughs) Okay, cool. You know, um... Uh, among, as you know, I've been working on some uh, little tweaks to our homepage to make it a yes. little more uh, appealing to people when they come visit the site. I'm hoping we'll be able to release that fairly soon, but I always say that and always takes longer than I would like. But I can at least call up uh, some key games this week. So um, let's see, what should we pick? It's uh, through the 19th. So there is the stand- yeah, Stanford, Oregon State. Um, Stanford, Oregon, I guess, is on Friday, and we could also try and pick Florida State, NC State. You can't pick four four games, then you have a chance of a tie. We got to do like three. <laughs> yeah, well, we picked three last week, but then we picked the same one on the same. So, all right. So you're saying the two Oregon road trip to Stanford, and then Florida State, NC State. All right, I'm going. Oregon's going to beat Stanford, but Stanford will beat Oregon State. 
And then I'm going with Florida State over NC State. I think Kia Jalopsi is just so good. So I'm going to pick Florida State in that one. Okay. I think then that I, I'll go the opposite just to make it interesting. I think I'll pick Stamp. I mean, I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see how Oregon and Oregon State respond uh, to this past weekend. But um, I think that uh, as much as a Stanford homer as I am, since I went to grad school there, um, I'll pick them actually to beat Oregon's, sorry, to beat Oregon, but for Oregon State to beat Stanford. And then, yeah, let's go with the Wolfpack, uh, NC State. Um, All right. I definitely like them. They've been, you know, consistently good. Um, one of our almost left undefeated teams. So that uh, will be a good game. And NC State's at home on, I guess, Friday night, right? So, um, so yeah, so there you go. Write it down. It. You can tweet <laughs> yes. about them. Uh, after these games end to uh, give people our live updates on our pick'em and <laughs> yes. uh, take it from there. Hopefully, I'm carrying uh, carrying my weight for the field there. <laughs> yeah. So by the time we record an episode next week, either I or the field will have the advantage. <laughs> yeah, big games this weekend for in the Pac-12 there with the Oregon's versus the Stanford's. Kind of you know what people are and I don't actually don't think what they is the top three teams in the Pac twelve by ranking, like written loss record right now, but what people would identify as the top three teams in the Pac twelve kind of playing each other. So big games and then Civil War next weekend, so more big games. <laughs> yeah, no, and it really speaks to the importance of seeding right in the Pac twelve tournament, conference tournament. Yep. Definitely don't want to be that three seed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean none yes. of them are great, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still sticking with my UCLA is going to win the Pet 12 regular season. It's still a viable option for now, so we're going to keep yeah, going. Yeah, with no, it. I mean, I, I appreciated your deep uh, analysis. That's what people come to uh, for hoops. That's four, I think, right? So, um, uh, yeah, who's left on UCLA's uh, schedule here? I'm pulling it up now. Uh, they still got, you know, the Arizona's on the road, so that road trip's going to be a tough one. But the big, you know, thing with their schedule is that they only play Stanford, Oregon, and Oregon State once each, so kind of don't have to play each of those teams twice, which gives them a definite advantage um, oh, well, they in still terms have to of record. Yeah, they still have to play them all, but <laughs> <laughs> but they, only they once versus twice. So. Three, yeah, they have three games against the presumably top ten yeah. uh, in the next two months, so it's pretty wild. Right. But yeah, none of those till February, I think. I think at Stanford first, but then both Oregon games are at home, which is also an advantage. Yeah, Oregon's, can... on, uh, Oregon's on Valentine's Day. Yes, it is. I'm actually trying to get out there for that, so hopefully it's going to work out. <laughs> that would be awesome. Reporting live to you from uh, Oregon. Yeah, do you have any, before we switch over to the WNBA, uh, any other tales you want to tell from being inside the arena for UConn Baylor? Um, nothing too much. I'm trying to think. If you haven't watched Kim Mulkey's presser, go watch it because she's just. Were funny. you there for that live? Yeah. <laughs> and what was the song she was singing? I watched. Like, I don't even it. know. It was a uh, uh, Alexa from the Hartford Current asked her a question about you know them taking threes versus their usual inside what well, <laughs> style of play, and uh, she kind of went on a tangent about them being old school and some country music. And <laughs> if you haven't watched it, you should go watch the video. It's hysterical. Yeah, I um, <laughs> saw yeah, part of it. Even you know, like it basically led sports center. That was kind of what they went right into their little. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you've got Taya Cooper sitting next to her looking like, you know, the <laughs> yeah. embarrassed daughter. So it, it's pretty funny. So definitely go watch that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely picked up on that part of it. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Cool. All 
Okay, well, let's uh, jump in then to the uh, WNBA CBA. Obviously, mm-hmm. we mentioned that a little bit. I mean, obviously, you can imagine, you know, we're definitely one of my goals uh, is for us to really, you know, become a great source of information, kind of breaking down the CBA for everybody. Unfortunately, we can't really do that yet because it's not actually the details right. that aren't uh, public. So I've definitely got some questions into the uh, media folks there at media relations at the uh, WNBA league office and hopefully we'll hear back from them soon because uh, you know i think broadly speaking and I, you know there are so many great pieces about it mm-hmm. um, but i think Lindsay gibbs for power plays wrote something about how she was like maybe going to be a little skeptical and i think it's certainly fair to have questions i think that's one thing people yeah. complain about with uh, women's basketball media coverage it's too fawning and you know people aren't really willing to ask the, the tough questions whether it's about the domestic violence or or, or whatnot but um you know at the same time i think it's definitely Yesterday was clearly a celebration. It was really cool to see all sides feeling so positive. And you could tell that it was, uh, you know, for needing so many extensions or whatever, that it was clearly an amicable kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think, yeah, all the reactions to it yesterday were pretty positive. So, and from the players especially. So that was definitely a positive thing to see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I saw like AT&T, like some tweet then where we mentioned the Changemakers. I think that Changemakers program is going to be, um, you know, really, really important. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's, you know, it's such an interesting question, right, about like what kind of coverage you want and if you want coverage. I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you want to have a big tent and bring as many people in as possible to uh, cover it. And, you know, certainly I don't think you need necessarily the validation of the NBA media, but I just think it's a positive indicator that like, you know, I'm not sure Woj tweeted about it, but Shams uh, definitely uh, kind of tweeted about it. In addition to, you know, people you'd expect to like Rachel Nichols and Shelburne. Um, so, uh, and in fact, Chanae, I guess, qualifies as media as well for, for the NBA. So, in her uh, her dual role there. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of positive interest, uh, or positive indicators in the interest of the broader NBA community about it. Tom Ziller and his um, Good Morning It's Basketball newsletter today, you know, that's really the main focus. Uh, he's been a great supporter of women's basketball for a long time. But even the the, was it the, the podcast I mentioned, no, don't think they're, they're hilarious they're covering the NBA, but they spent a bit of time, um, you know, talk, not that much time, but they spent a little bit of time talking about CBA, just how it's good for basketball and how innovative it's been. Um, you know, definitely still kind of coming at it from a NBA lens, but uh, nevertheless, I just think you're just seeing more and more coverage and, you know, just that fact alone, in addition to the changes in WNBA, uh, CBA are very positive. Yeah, definitely. I think going back to the change makers program too, it sounds like that a lot of the kind of you know increases to player compensation and stuff are being funded by those companies that are investing in the W. So definitely positive to see. Uh, well, Kath- Commissioner Engelbert was definitely very clear because I forget it was that someone asked a question, and I gotta say there were so many questions. I, you know, was trying to decide. Uh, since, you know, I don't really ask that many questions at press conferences. I probably paused for like five seconds before I dialed in to get in the queue and like. There was maybe an hour of questions that I still didn't oh, wow. even, uh, make it to the make it to the queue to ask my question, uh, so that's a little personally disappointing. But uh, it was also again just positive how much media was on there, including some folks that clearly weren't you know plenty of the usual suspects that you would hope would be on the call, but also a few people that were you know in a negative sense you'd say they were parachuting in. To me, it's a positive that they're there. Um, so, but a lot of questions and. Um, one of them was about that, and they're very clear. I think they said something like each ownership group was going to contribute a million dollars, essentially, in investment. Um, okay. You know, it's all part of this bet on women thing. I could have that wrong. Um, need to go read. Uh, you know, again, there were so many great breakdowns. Um, 
uh, whether it's Michelle Vogels or Brett Feinberg's, Howard Mendel's, uh, Matt Ellenpuck, uh, and I know I'm leaving some out. So, but 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 they were trying to be very clear that the money is not all coming from the change makers. Um, and but also, I know I saw Doug tweet out that it's also not money that was there before. It's not like they can magically, you know, they've been holding back all this time, and now they're like, okay, finally we'll give it to you. Um, you know, they're definitely counting on revenue. I think the more let's call it skeptical uh, view is kind of where is this money coming from? How much of it is agreed to? Um, you know, you might think if they're being cautious that they're willing to fund this, you know, basically 30%, I want to say, basically one third increase in um, the salary cap and um, as well as like max salaries and minimum salaries, you know, that's like sort of guaranteed money. So that probably is largely coming from a combination of this investment of the owners and particularly the change makers. You got to think that's valuable. Although I think all the change makers were involved as sponsors previously. So maybe they kind of stepped mm-hmm. up a little more. Yeah, I think they definitely were all involved. AT&T was, um, Deloitte obviously was, uh, Kathleen Engelbert tie there, obviously, and then um, Nike as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, it's, you know, it's an interesting question, right? If you were the commissioner or the, you know, I think the WNBA, P, the WNBPA, Terry Jackson, uh, NECA executive committee, uh, you know, right? Like, you don't want to have you know, you want more money, but you recognize it's growing the pie. You know, it's not in your interest to have, you know, all 12 teams bleeding money and then they'll leave you bankrupt. Um, so, uh, you know, you got to be realistic. So I'm sure they're being pretty cautious and willing to commit to this jump uh, now because they feel like this is a signed contract for an extended term as opposed to like going in the red now. And just, you know, I mean, they're betting on women, but I don't know that they're saying we'll lose a bunch of money now to come out ahead in 2026 uh that just seems a little that wouldn't be my choice if i was commissioner um and i think that's also reflected in the fact that it's this giant increase now but um they also said it's only going to be a three percent increase in the salary cap uh, going forward which i mean it's not the most aggressive uh assumption there so uh it's really interesting about how they came up with that um because you know i think that is less than the well, the NBA has had some really funky things, which we can talk about in a little bit. But, um, you know, broadly speaking, that's not a tremendous growth rate. So it seems achievable. Um, I did see some reference to WNBPA is pretty confident. These, like, thresholds for revenue sharing will be hit. So I guess that's better than kind of someone coming in and making pie-in-the-sky promises about how much money people are going to earn in 2022 and just not having it come to fruition when, um, you know, when you get that brass tacks over here. Yeah, I think that revenue sharing thing is kind of one thing that might be a little bit more clear once we see a full like CBA, but it kind of seems vague for now. Like um, a lot of it is better surrounding the fact that NBA gets fifty percent of revenue to the players, and it looks like there's potential to reach that in the new CBA for the WNBA. But it it's based on like achieving growth targets and hasn't been a lot of specifics, at least that I've seen around that part of it yet. Yeah, I mean, I've always said, I'm not sure that I think, you know, just because it's the right number for the NBA, I don't know that that's the right number for the WNBA. It's not the same number for all the uh, major men's leagues, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, I mean, obviously I think the women serve more, you know, ultimately I do think that it has to be a function of, um, you know, revenue and really profit. And, uh, you know, I think it's smart to tie those two together. But that strikes me that the WNBA's 
fixed costs have to be a higher, I'm guessing a higher percentage uh, of revenue than the MBAs. And so as a result, it could end up in a world where, um, you know, 50, 50 isn't quite the right number. So yeah, I mean, there's a ton of questions in particular. How does that, one question I have about the league office, how does that threshold work? Is it a binary where it's like 25% if they make some target and 50% if they don't, or is it some kind of sliding scale? So it could be anywhere between 25 and 50%. Um, you know, I have questions about the way, whether they're going to apply the same kind of escrow system uh, that the NBA does, which I'm familiar with. And, uh, you know, it's really complicated. And then, you know, one thing I'm particularly interested to hear about what lessons they tried to learn, not just from previous WNPA CBAs agreements, uh, well, CBAs, but uh, also like other leagues, whether it's the NBA or, you know, NFL, Major League Baseball, MLS. Um, you know, the major women's leagues, so on and so forth, because, you know, the NBA in particular had all kinds of craziness with their rules because they had this giant spike and uh, in their revenue when they signed their latest uh, TV deal with ABC and Turner. And so, like, what's going to happen if, you know, as we all hope slash expect, you know, the WNBA really can aggressively grow its broadcast revenue and signs a deal like double their broadcast revenue in um, you know 2023 or whatever, like I don't know when the deal's up. I should find that out. And so, if the salary cap's going up at like three percent, or the max salaries are going up at three percent, and revenue's going up at ten percent, like what's going to happen there? How are they going to get it back to the 50-50? You know, are they going to scale everybody's contract up, so on and so forth? Right. Yeah, it'll yeah. definitely kind of be interesting to see how that all works yeah, out. Let see more that, details. Yeah, that's what led to the whole Kevin Durant, I guess I'll call it situation where, because the cap spike happened to be when he was a free agent, that was how he got to, to Golden State in the first place. So that was sort of an unforeseen circumstance. And so could we have something similar with a super team forming? Um, you know, the other question, which I haven't heard is, you know, there are, you know, the players that are on a max contract today, if the max salary is going up, like if you're signed to a max salary contract, are they going to scale you or, you're, you know, if you were going to earn $150,000, uh, I think it is this year uh, already, and the cap is now higher, are you still earning one hundred fifty because you're under contract, but, you know, someone who's a free agent can sign a new contract to particularly get that, um, potentially get that to 215 in base salary. So there's a whole host of unanswered questions, and like I said, I'm really looking forward to digging in. So, and, you know, folks out there are interested in helping us do that. Uh, definitely drop a, drop us a line. Uh, you can email us there at uh, podcast at herhoopstats.com or, or send an email to me, Aaron Barzilai at herhoopstats.com. That's a lot harder to spell. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, we're always interested in people if they're willing to, uh, you know, contribute. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, what do you think? I mean, did you, did you find it to be a positive thing? Sorry. Uh, or, you know, what were your general reactions to what you read, uh, what, what clips you saw, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a positive thing. I think some of the other positives were, you know, some of the, like, travel improvements that are, I think, allowing everyone or requiring that everyone flies a economy plus type thing instead of just economy, which I can imagine is, like, I'm only 5'8", and sometimes there's not enough leg room in a regular seat. So an elite athlete traveling in regular economy, it's got to be rough. Um, but so I think that was an improvement, kind of some of the travel um, changes and then obviously the players are making more money like there is um, 
an increase in salary. Of course, when you look at it and you start looking at, you know, NBA salaries and stuff, it's nothing crazy like that. But like you said, kind of a factor of revenue and things like that, but definitely a step in the right direction. Um, so definitely good to see. Uh, yeah, this, the um, travel is interesting. I was kind of wondering whether, I guess the schedule is coming out. Really, it probably will be out by the time most people listen to this since it's coming out tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, tomorrow we record this since it's Wednesday night. And so, like, one question I had is, you know, the other thing that can sort of help with the travel, um, you know, you're not going to do too much about thunderstorms, but, like, would they have put in any rules about um, scheduling to try and avoid, say, back-to-backs and things like that that really kind of, you know, make things brutal? Or is that something that maybe they'll just kind of work out on the side about a formal agreement in the CBA, um, that sort of thing? I know the NBA has been really ratcheting down the load of their schedule eliminating like you know three games and four nights and four games and five nights and i don't think that's specifically in the cba but um you know i hope they're working together to to think about ways to adjust the schedule because i still think there's a lot of opportunity there to unlock more interest by scheduling uh smartly and then the other one other question on my mind i'm hoping we'll be able to talk to some players is i really i'm, I'm intrigued in a couple things i um so Commissioner Engelbert really stressed this idea that the revenue, well, that this, the compensation is going to be total cash, compensate, cash compensation. It's not just going to be the salaries of the players that they signed for like $215,000, $100,000, whatever it is, but also the prize pool, these league and marketing agreements. Um, oh, there's one more than I was blanking on. But, um, oh yeah, and the competitions. Well, no, maybe that So, oh, performance bonuses, I'm sorry. So... My question is, I wasn't quite clear on whether the benefits that they're talking about, health and wellness, nutrition, you know, investing in you know, players for after the league, um, after they're playing, you know, you know, developing them personally and professionally, like whether that investment is going to be part of the revenue split. I don't think so, but I wanted to kind of triple check to confirm that that investment was going to be above and beyond um, or whether, you know, the money from like the, the housing stipend and stuff is going to be part of the revenue split. And then if it is, either way, really, I mean, ultimately it's all being negotiated. So I'm really fascinated to understand how the players think about that trade-off. Like, would they rather have essentially corporate housing or just get a check and be responsible for finding housing themselves? Like, would they really want that corporate housing? Because I don't know why I personally, if I personally would. Yeah. I don't know. When you think about the season, though, it's the WNBA season's like four months, so pretty hard to, I feel like, find your own housing for four months, especially if these players are then like going abroad and living someplace else for the rest of the year. Um, but definitely kind of interesting to think about what their opinions on that would be. Um, yeah, which well, like, reminds I mean, you know, so many people pocket their per diem, right, when they're traveling. Right. So <laughs> gotta, you, could, you could use a similar approach. Um, but yeah, no, obviously the logistical challenges. I mean, I you could, but you could totally have a model where they have essentially real estate agent type people they connect them with and say, oh, you know, you're coming out to Seattle, like you're the person that really helps all the players find true uh, rental housing. And but you know, you, you know, we wrote you a check, and you know, instead of being two hundred fifteen thousand dollars, it's two hundred twenty five thousand dollars, and you know, you're free to you know be in a high rise or you know get a small place uh, in suburban Washington that we wanted it right, especially with the arena situation that they have. So yeah, lots of questions and I'm looking forward to digging in. It's exciting. Um, it was exciting to see the WNBA 
kind of breakthrough the news. It'll be interesting to see how much people are really following it as we're, you know, now I think free agency kicks off, I think on February 1st. And so it'd be interesting to see whether people are able to keep track of that and college basketball at the same time. <laughs> yeah, always difficult. So much going on at once. It is. I feel like, yeah, yeah. It just in general, in like the women's world, there seems to be like more overlap between like the media for WNBA and college than there is in like the men's world. So it's hard to keep track of everything. Yeah, and it's really a function of, you know, there are people that try to follow both men's college and pro basketball, but it's just it's so hard, and, you know, to do both simultaneously well, right? Whereas it's like theoretically feasible to be able to do that for uh, women, but, you know, it's the classic sort of basketball never stops, uh, you know, much to, uh, you know, a lot of people's family sugar, and I think. <laughs> so it, it's hard. There's always something like the Final Four, you know, we're talking about the Final Four. That happens to be when we're having our uh, spring break for my wife and our kids, and you know, and then when you come back, and then, you know, I don't think they've announced yet when the WNBA draft is. But if I just usually right that, out there, yeah, hard to get. You know, it's a mm-hmm. real challenge, though. Definitely, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so, but yeah, all positive, right? And I think it is cool the opportunities that are out there. We've talked about that before, um, and just the ability to you know people can have still um, while. I mean, I wouldn't exactly, yeah, while, while things are still growing, there's still plenty of room for, for a lot of voices. There's a lot of need uh, for people, whether it's contributing to what we're doing or some of the other independent outlets or some of the more well-funded ones. So it's definitely an exciting time for women's basketball. Agreed. Definitely. Lots going on. Cool. Well, it is exciting, but it is also late here uh, on yes. the East Coast. So, and, uh, you know, for me, it's easy to kind of come on and... and uh, spew my random, uh, well, not all of them are random, but spew my opinions. Um, you're going to do the heavy lifting, right, of kind of making sure that everything here is polished and uh, editing out all my flubs and, uh, you know, <laughs> releasing this, which I really appreciate. So I probably should, should wrap it up, I would hope. Well, that's it for this episode of Her Hoops Dads Unplugged. As always, we hope that you'll rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast and also review the podcast wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or somewhere else. Um, We also hope that you're checking out our uh, articles on Medium if you like the content you're hearing on the podcast. And then also the stats site, herhoopstats.com. It's only $20 a year to subscribe. So definitely a great investment for some great women's basketball stats heading into, you know, the remainder of conference play and March uh, Madness for women's basketball. Also, we just launched in the last uh, month or so our Herhoopstats newsletter so you can get the best of our articles, podcasts, different news directly to your inbox so definitely subscribe to that um you can head over to our social media for the link um and also the website so definitely check that out Uh, and thanks again for listening with us today Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.